Baseline questions determines truthful response behavior so that when you increase the stress or the, the cognitive dissonance, internal cognitive dissonance, when you point out incongruencies, that's when, that's when you get the real story, the real facts. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Manage Self Need Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. My name is Nina Sunday. I'm your host. This is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. And each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. My guest this episode is Dan Goodwin, a former internal investigator for over 19 years with a top 100 corporation that had 80,000 employees. Trained in interrogation and interview techniques, Dan uses his expertise to assist clients to examine available information to make good decisions. Dan is a keynote speaker on clear communication. And this episode, we talk about creating a safe space, how to detect deception, how to create rapport as a manager leading your individual contributors. It's a free-flowing conversation, and I trust you'll enjoy the journey. Welcome, Dan Goodwin. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, take take one and done. I mean, I love ones and dones, Nina. Oh, this is hilarious. Okay. So so the question was, what makes an interview go goes go bad badly? So my experience. Uh it, it goes back to something that it, what I consider the soft skill, Nina, which is emotional intelligence, EQ. Uh people need to feel uh, three three things. They need to be seen, heard, and validated. Uh, so the being seen part is is a natural extension of whatever our job is. Uh, we're being seen either, um, you know, the Japanese have the, the theory of, you know, pound all the nails down, right? You stand out, you get you get hit, right? The so uh, but the the heard part is where people feel disrespected sometimes and certainly not validated. And it takes, uh, it, it takes a very emotionally intelligent and great leader to allow that conversation to develop along those lines. So the, the, the scene in the herd, what can go wrong? is when there is not what the cool kids like to say, a safe space uh, that you can actually reflect and give feedback within a safe space. And I'm, I'm watching this now with a client of mine who's also an employee, so a personal coaching client, right? That they're not feeling in a safe space for feedback that they're, they're getting from their direct supervisor. And it's, it's a bad feeling. It, it, it is a bad feeling. But the safe space piece, that takes a lot of effort and great leadership. And, and generally, that doesn't happen without self-awareness. And that person, that leader, has taken the time to become a better leader. So that's my short answer there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, 
everyone has a different concept of what is emotional intelligence, but do you think uh, do you think it's still the case that some managers don't even reflect upon the impact of a meeting or the impact of a relate uh, a conversation? They just have it, and if it if it's if it's not really it's not really landing well, they just go on their merry way. They don't even reflect upon it. Or is our managers starting to reflect more about how can I have a better interpersonal relationship and express myself more clearly? That is a great question. The The places I've seen the most success at what you're describing is when it's been modeled from the top down. R very rarely is that modeled from the bottom up. Right. You must experience that or you must go to some sort of training or self-train or self-knowledge in order to make that pro that conversation process happen. So when I was at corporate years ago, very rarely would there be any follow-up from uh, annual performance review, right? I mean, it's just like, hey, you did a good job. You, you, know, you brought in X number of uh, recovered revenue, recovered dollars and, and uh, pat you on the back and uh, you know, we got rated from one to five, one being, you know, you're a superstar and you only sink ankle, ankle deep in the water when you walk across it, right? And then five being, there's the door, good luck, we don't like you anymore. So, you know, I got one ratings a couple, a couple of years, but mo most of the time I got twos. And those were tied directly into the compensation value. It was valued on com compensation. And but very rarely did my boss ever circle back you know, because it was already decided and it wasn't even decided by my manager or my director. It was decided by the VP. Basically, how they were going to divvy up the ratings to divvy up the opportunity for the raises for the next year. It, it was it was crazy. Very political system. Gee, gee. But uh, hopefully things are changing. I was asked recently you know, to think about my favorite boss. And I went, actually, there was no favorite boss. They're all a mishmash of mediocre. But each one had a quality that I could say was positive. <laughs> and I never had, I never had a dysfunctional boss. So it's like, maybe the negative of not dysfunctional is a positive. <laughs> is that all we can ask for? Or can we yeah. aim higher? <laughs> well, I, I think we we would strive to think we would have an exceptional boss. I, I had one that came into my life at a very important time uh, and in my career and was very politically astute and was able to take me aside and say, hey, uh, this is what is going on here behind the scenes. And this is what we're going to do. Yeah. So, just leveraging your experience as a as a a, a fraud investigator, is that what you were? Or no? Nah, well, we did more than fraud. Fraud and embezzlement and sexual harassment and right dastardly deeds, conflict of interest. Uh -huh. That that it, just internal investigations with within a company that had eighty thousand plus employees. Ooh. But there would be people that would be lying and your job would be to detect whether someone was telling the truth or, or, or lying or a mix of both when they're telling a story or responding to a question. Is that right? 
Yes. Yeah. So I, I went to the, the John Reed school of interview and interrogation technique in Chicago. And that's the same school that the feds and the states and the counties and local law enforcement went to. Now, obviously we didn't use the word interrogation at my company and a corporate environment, but the whole purpose of that, of that training is to identify deceptive and truthful behaviors, deceptive and truthful behaviors, and then learn how to put pressure points on that uh, to raise, raise the cognitive dissonance, the stress level right. by the words you used or the, the silence that you used. But the main thing is to actually be able to gauge, you know, it's not like you see on TV. <laughs> It's not, you know, we didn't have the, the rubber hoses and there's no good cop, bad cop. And uh, it's, it, but it is, um, it, it is, it's how you lay the groundwork. That, well, that's, I, how, that's how I should say it. I, I met, I met a, um, oh, she was an investigator from the United Kingdom and she, uh, just socially, and she was saying that to detect deception, one clue is when people are telling a story they drop the first person, I. So, um, so they they they're explaining what happened with an event. I, I a, a truth would be I stopped the car, I ran to check on things, I called an ambulance. But um, someone who's trying to hide something would say would just say stop the car, ran over to check on things, called an ambulance. So they they're missing the I in the in the in the telling of the story. Is that something you've come across or? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the, the prep piece goes way before you get into details of stories. The prep piece is this. Um, to, to, you have to set a baseline, Nina. And, and this is good for any conversation. Uh, you know, I use this on my kids when they were growing, when they were growing up. They hated, they hated it. But um, it, it's a simple, uh, number one, to create, we talked about this a few minutes ago, to create the safe space, right? Uh, you have to put yourself on the same side of the table as the person that you're you're talking oh, to. Not opposite them. Exactly. We're on a team. You know, what? it's uncomfortable. We know we know we raise stress levels when we show up to do an employee interview, right? But listen, Nina, it's important for me. It's important for you to help me so you can tell your side of the story to management because without your input we can only make decisions based upon the facts that are laid before us. So you see that script. I mean, it's just NLP, NLP, just boom, boom, boom. But even before then you walk in, we had 14 baseline questions, 14 baseline questions. And they were as simple as this. Uh, can you tell me your full name, please? And, and uh, what's your service date? Uh, what are uh, you know who who's your supervisor how long have you reported to him what's your position employee id number so what what am i asking situation I, asking, questions no i'm i'm asking automatic response questions yeah, right people right. that you don't have to think about it, it's right. it's just boom 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 so that when i get to the hard questions right then i start looking for the anomalies right so so I'll drop some numbers on you and for your and for your audience. 738.55. And people probably have heard this. 7% is the words, 38% is the tone, and 55% is nonverbal. Now I had somebody tell me that new studies say it's 5% words. 
and oh. then the other 2% is somewhere, uh, those other two. But the nonverbal is really, tonality obviously is important. That's why, that's why I hate text messages. That's why I hate emails. That's why I like all my messages to be on video. All of my meetings are on video <laughs> because I just don't take phone calls anymore. Unless it's a client I'm engaged with and we're, we're working through a fast issue, but these meetings, podcasts, no, it's, it's a video or it's nothing. Yeah. So anyway, I digress. Um, baseline questions determines truthful response behavior so that when you increase the stress or the, the cognitive dissonance, internal cognitive dissonance, when you point out incongruencies, that's when, that's when you get the real story, the real facts. Okay, so what what are your your tactics to to create rapport? One is sitting on the same side as the t of the table. That's a good one. What what else? Yeah, um, to be open, open stance. Always put them near the door. We never, you never, as an investigator, you never want to be accused of false imprisonment, right? I mean that that's right. that that won't go well, right? Right. You, I always tell them, you know. If they say, well, I think I'm going to leave, there's there's the door. Can't stop you. But before you go, <laughs> right before you go, let me just make sure that I understand this because I'm here to help you tell your side of the story. And that stopped a few people because they get emotional. It's oh. a threat. I, I get it. I understand. But to be open, disarming, never raise a voice. Just, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts, sir. That's all we're here for. We're just... Because Nina, truly, 90% of the work I would do on investigation was done before I ever left my cube, <laughs> before I ever left my desk. I, the 10% the I was looking for was, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of the how, but a lot of the why. Why did this happen? Did somebody tell you to do this? Did somebody uh, threaten you if you didn't do this? Did you ever think this was going to be a problem? You know, you're, you're just basically asking leading questions and then use, letting the power of silence raise the internal stress. So you said you said shifty eyes while ago. And then you the, the other comment that I've ever I've always thought about language is a huge indicator. So it's not just chopping off the pronouns that that's a part of it. It's also the overly helpful well, now, sir, Mr. Goodwin, you know, this is, you know, and no use of contractions. Uh, the, the, the ability to really be searching for details. And I, I would always use that opportunity to uh, insert what I called uh, a probing question, which was, uh, now, you were, you said you were here at 730 that night. Were were you around when that accident happened in front of the, uh, you know, at that facility outside? And, oh, yeah, that was terrible. That was terrible. So you ask those various test questions and let them build their brick foundation. And then you go back and start knocking the bricks out. And you look at my notes and I say, oh, you know what? That was, I think I have the wrong night. I think that accident was the night before, if there actually was an accident. Because a truthful person, what's a truthful person going to say, Nina? If I ask you about an accident that didn't happen, you're going to say, <laughs> I 
don't know what you're talking about. Whereas the overly helpful person is going to try to help you fill in the blanks because they're trying to hide something. Anyway, now you've got me giving away my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we can't have that. We can't have that, Dan. Just uh... <laughs> It's all right. But people say, well, you, you lied to them. No, I didn't. I, it was a test question. I, I didn't. I said. It sounds you know, like not... it sounds like you were a a, a corporate Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> one more, just one more thing. Peter Falk was my hero, by the way. I loved, I loved his style and his delivery. Oh, ma'am, one more thing before I leave. One more thing. So anyway, so yeah, bring it on. What 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 other secrets can I reveal for your for your group? <laughs> Well, well, okay. So I've been reading uh, Harvard Business Review's uh, series on on emotional intelligence, and there was one, you know, on empathy and also questioning techniques. And what they were saying is that if you ask a question with the, beginning with the word "why," it can actually create a sense of people wanting to defend to de defend themselves. Whereas if you say, "What was the reason?", uh, it's less interrogative, and they feel less put on the spot. So, and I had, I was doing a workshop with a group and they gave, the manager gave me a great example. She said, I noticed that when I asked the payroll person, why did she grant uh, Mary a week's break when we had uh, a shortage of staff? She got all very, you know, defensive. And we right. discussed the fact that if she'd said, can you, can you tell me the reason you granted Mary uh, a week off? It's just being curious. It's not asking her to defend herself and so you know it's just those little subtle shifts in your language do you have any more any comment to make on that one it, it yeah it is it, and it really does come down to languaging uh you've got to soften things if, if you're talking to somebody that you believe has the key details of whatever you're looking at you really have to be aware and even acknowledge and say you know, listen, you know what? I know this is really tough. And I know that you may have acted out of character. I know you, you may have just simply made a bad decision. Okay. So I'm, I, now I'm fronting with you. I'm fronting with you something and I'm watching you to see which one of those you hit on bad judgment, bad decision, out of character. Guess guess which one you're going to pick. Yeah, out of character. That that wasn't me. You know, I I don't know what I was thinking. So it doesn't matter which one you bite on. You know, they, in the gambling world, they call this a tell, right? It's it's a tell. You know, and it doesn't matter which one they bite on. I'm watching their response, and when I get that that micro flinch, right? I know. Okay. Now we put, that's a pressure point. So I, I'm guessing, Nina, you've never, you've never even been questioned. You've never done anything like this before, have you? And I'm shaking my head now, right? I'm, so I'm getting, I'm getting you, I'm mirroring matching. And then I'm in Alpine, right? I'm neuro-linguistic program. So I, so you, you said a great word just a couple minutes ago called empathy. To be able to get to be empathetic and, and sincere, not fake empathy, but to be empathetic with people. 
as they're going through a very stressful time, <laughs> which you are causing, by the way. Uh, right. <laughs> to, but to be empathetic and say, listen, I've screwed up too. I, I know how it feels. So the thing that we always went for is first admission of guilt. If I can get you to admit and help you own up to something that was out of policy, bad judgment, out of character, against the law, whatever it is, if I can get you to that first admission of guilt, I own the rest of the conversation. Right. Very interesting. I, I, I get uh, my my uh, the people I work with, my clients sort of ask me, how do I get my team members to take ownership of tasks, to, uh, to commit to results? So it's this whole concept of ownership. And I'm just thinking there would be occasions where people have fallen down on the job. So you want them to not only admit to it, but maybe commit to doing better in future. It's not, we're not talking about fraud here. We're not talking about uh, breaking the right. law. We're just talking about teamwork and being a good team member and bringing their discretionary effort to the role and not doing the minimum, but putting in energy and being engaged. I mean, really, that's this is all holy grail stuff. You know, how do we how do we create a team where the all the team members are equally engaged and taking ownership of results? and also their part to achieve those results. So I, I like to do things in threes because they're easy to remember. So when I talk to my clients and they bring me a new idea and they say, I'm thinking about doing X. Okay. So is it, it you know, maybe a, a growth opportunity, a joint venture opportunity, something. So I say there's the, the three words and the people I put through this exercise, they, they already know what I'm going to say. So could you, should you, would you, could you, should you, would you? So the could you part is, do you have the mental, emotional, financial capital to actually do this task, this strategy that leads to tactics, which is the tasks that are required? Could you do those? Do you have the resources to do those? So that's that's layer one. Layer two is, uh, should you do this? Is there a higher ROI project on the table? Is there something else that's taking priority, right? It is Should you do this? So it's a timing issue. So it all comes back to the would you, because if you're not willing to do it because of competing priorities, that's where a good leader, a good manager, a good supervisor needs to help either make space or say, you know what, we need to hold off on this. So could you, should you, would you? And then if they are committed, you go to them, then, then and only then would you move to the next step and say, all right, let's talk timelines, let's talk deadlines. Uh, and that which leads to communication, because if somebody's having a really tough time and they can't make their deadlines, a lot of people uh, feel that there's shame if they have to go ask for help. You're really raising all the issues around, you know, um, in from my experience uh, with working with facilitators that came out of IBM, one of the uh, phrases was you expect a result and then you inspect whether they've achieved that result. So expect 
and inspect. But of course, not everybody has that little uh, slogan, that little catchphrase. But um, for example, uh, whenever I had a sales team, I would invite them to send me a little email each day. At the end of the day, it was uh, pre-populated headings, but today's results. And it was like sales, uh, hot conversations, uh, new uh, new leads, just three, three things, you know, a sale, a potential sale and uh, a new sale uh, and any, any other comment they want to make. Um, but you know, what would happen is sometimes is after a while, unless I actually talked about what was being sent, they would forget to send it. <laughs> right. And right. I would forget to notice that they hadn't sent it because I had more than one person. And then I started to realize that actually sometimes people were deliberately withholding. Uh, even though I'd asked them to do it, they would start and then stop, start and then stop. And then it became a motivation issue. And then it actually was an indication of, of something deeper. So it's, or maybe that was just the wrong thing to ask them to do because maybe I needed to not have a little email. Maybe I just needed to have a little five minute conversation instead. It's like you try different things to try and fit in in a busy day because you've got your responsibilities as a manager, but also you don't want, um, people don't want to feel like they're in a fishbowl they're not being micromanaged. It's that whole balance thing. It, it, it really is. Uh, I, here, here's something that some of your, your crowd may, uh, some of your, your fandom there may find interesting <laughs> is if you really want to figure out how connected you are and, and how connected your employees are to the mission, do this once a quarter, give them a sheet of paper, and say, so I would give you a sheet of paper and say, Nina, uh, write down the top three things that you believe I expect you to accomplish on a daily basis. Right. Anyway, so in threes, right? And then you write the top three things that you expect every one of your employees to be doing. Then compile that data set to see where, see where the differences are. Here's what I want you to be doing, here's my top three, here's what you think my top three is. So who does that reflect on the most? It's the leader. Exactly. <laughs> there may have been a misunderstanding at the employee level, but it's the leader's responsibility to check that top three. So you said, you know, basically KPIs for at the end of the day, three things. Uh, you do, I tell, I tell you what, you do that, uh, and give, you know, have a short deadline, a day or two, and then have an in-person meeting. And you're going to find you're going to find where your gaps are at that point, Nina. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think anybody listening to this will will re, uh, recognize some similarities in their own life and their own leading people, but uh, and also as a <laughs> as a team member. Look, this is almost one of my most favorite conversations of all the podcasts I've ever done, Dan. You are just amazing. In fact, I'm going to invite you back in a few months' time automatically. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I, whatever I can do to help. I, you know, there, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said of of having 30 plus years longevity in a corporate environment, and then transferring those skills to help C-suite, uh, you know, leaders and business owners on the entrepreneurship side, the business ownership side. And uh, 
I, I always say there's not a lot I haven't seen, but I every time I say that, I get surprised by something that I've never run into before. But, you know, we're, we're all humans, and we're all bouncing down the road trying to make the best of our, our imperfect systems, uh, in both personally and corporately and government and all the other things that are, you know, impacting our lives. And I, I just... We, we just need the frequency and the love that grace, mercy, and love is what needs to be practiced. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't exclude justice, but it does say we need to cut each other a break sometimes and figure out this, uh, this road that we're all stumbling down together. That is so lovely. That's a lovely note to end on. Thank you, Dan. It's been a true joy and a pleasure speaking with you today. And thank you for your wisdom. Thank and uh, your sagacity. <laughs> sagacity. Oh, I love it. So thank you, Nina. I appreciate the trust you, you have in me to, to bring me on and, and let, let me rile up your crowd. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> thank you. All the way from Kansas. Yoo-hoo! <laughs> All right. Thanks thank a lot. Nina. This episode, we've been speaking with Dan Goodwin on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Thank you for listening. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.